The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody, to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. We have got one of the most tremendous episodes I think we're going to have on this show. We're going into the topic of paranormal psychology with special guest Professor Lloyd Arbach. This is an incredible opportunity for us to explore a, a side of life in which many people avoid talking about just because of the social context that, that, that it involves and, you know, I, I just want to go forward and, and let you know that if you're listening to today's show, then, then I presume there's a part of you that acknowledges that the human race has undeniably encountered paranormal activity since the dawn of recorded man. And uh, this show is for people who are curious and believe there could be life beyond our physical existence. This is not a show to convince my audience that ghosts, psychic phenomenon, or even poltergeists exist in my life. I've seen ghosts. I've experienced psychic phenomenon, and I have no way to explain it. It is not something that I'm familiar with. Therefore, I've asked uh, Professor Arbach to help those of us who have these type of experiences and explain and help us understand what it's all about. Now, paranormal psychology in itself is a very uh, interesting uh, topic. The, the Paranormal Network describes parapsychology as a field of science and scientific endeavor dealing with the human mind, you know, albeit different experiences than those studied by psychologists. Parapsychologists study in and out of the laboratory three main forms of experiences and connections beyond an individual's mind. They study apparent exchanges of information between one mind and another or from the environment itself. This is typically, typically called ESP. And they also study apparent physical effects of the mind on the environment, which is psychokinesis. And they study experiences that seem to relate to the idea that the mind or consciousness, the personality of the human, can survive death of the body. And that's where ghosts may come in, of course. They do this using the methods of social and physical sciences. Now, Lloyd Arbach, uh, Professor Arbach, our guest, he is the director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations and president of the Forever Foundation. He has been in this field for over 35 years, focusing on education and field investigation. He is the author of nine books, including The Ghost Detective's Guide to Haunted San Francisco, co-authored with the late renowned psychic Annette Martin, his newest release is ESP Wars, which East, West, East and West, covering the psychic spying programs for the U.S. and Soviet Union Russia, uh, co-authored by Dr. 
Edwin C. May, who ran the U.S. program, and Dr. Victor Rubel. And available, this is a book is available on Amazon.com and other online booksellers. He is a professor at Atlantic University and JFK University and teaches parapsychology local and distance through HCH Institute of Lafayette, California, and also online courses through the Rhine Education Center. Uh, Professor Auerbach is on the board of directors of the Rhine Research Center and advisory boards of the Windbridge Institute and Forever Family Foundation. If that's not enough, his media appearances on TV, radio, and in print number in the thousands, including ESPN Sports Center, ABC's The View, Ofra, Larry King Live. He works as a parapsychologist, a professional mentalist, psychic entertainer, public speaking, media skills coach, and is a, if that's just not enough, a professional chocolatier. So welcome, Professor Auerbach. I really, really, truly appreciate you joining our show. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. You know, and in all your research, you know, do we exist in a world with an alternative, uh, alternative form of energy consisting of ghosts and paranormal activity? And, and, and if we do, what forms do they come? Well, you know, I wouldn't say that we coexist with another world. Um, you know, it's all part of us. Uh, if, if we survive the death of our bodies, if our consciousness survives the death of our bodies, we're, still, we're, we're perhaps sticking around without a body. Uh, and we're not sure what that, that's made of. It could be alternate energy or something else altogether. Uh, but psychic abilities in general and psychic phenomena in general comes from the human being uh, and, of course, from, from other critters as well. And... It's just an interesting thing for us to study. People report these experiences all over the world, and we're just trying to figure out what they actually are. You know, so many people wonder, how do I coexist with something like this? Well, you know, um, you have to kind of ask yourself how you coexist with anything in in that instance. The reality is none of this is paranormal. Paranormal means on the side of normal, and it's only that because we haven't completely understood it. If you go by the number of experiences people have, the encounters people have, all over the world going back through history. It's actually rare for individuals, but it's not rare for humans in general. And in fact, it, by the numbers, it's far from paranormal. It's actually a lot more normal than some other experiences we might actually have. I, w- I would agree with you. You know, why do, th- why do you think they interact with our existence? Well, you know, if you're, if you're a ghost, then, you know, let's, let's take this, this whole idea. And, and, of course, you know, none of this is proven. We're, we're still trying to understand what these experiences actually are. Uh, but if you are consciousness without a body and you're sticking around here and you're able to interact with human beings, you're still, first of all, what the evidence seems to show, people's experiences, is that you don't change your personality just because you die. So you're still you, and many people seem to move on or leave whatever this world happens to be. They don't stick around. But the likelihood is, as a human being, you want to interact. You want to interact perhaps with other ghosts, maybe, if you can find them, but certainly with the people that are around in front of you, and certainly the people you care about and you love, or the people that are in your house, if you happen to be sticking around your house. It's just a natural human thing to want to interact. So the motives vary as to why they would choose to stay here. Right. You know, what we think is that there are psychological motives as well as perhaps environmental or other kinds of conditions that have to be right or that affect whether someone can stick around. The vast majority of ghost experiences happen right around the time of the person's death or within a couple of days, as if the person is pretty much saying goodbye. It's pretty rare for people to stick around for longer than that as ghosts. 
but the reasons, you know, we hear folklore, people say there's unfinished business, uh, there, is, there are ghosts that don't know that they're dead, you hear that they have, uh, they don't want to leave their loved ones, you, you find out that perhaps they're afraid to move on, that seems to be a big one uh, from what the mediums tell us, they just don't know what's next and they're afraid because of all the stuff they learned when they were alive. But the motives vary from individual to individual, as they should if they're really, really talking about human beings. That's so interesting. You know, what would, what would classify as a haunting when somebody is coming to somebody that does uh, paranormal studies and, and say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, my house is haunted? What, what, would, what would that mean? Well, haunt, hauntings usually refer to locations. Uh, it can refer to an object, too, but we're talking really about a location. And the word haunt doesn't technically just refer to ghostly phenomena because the old detective stories in movies used to talk about, you know, going to the suspect's old haunts. You know, people who are regulars at bars are haunting the bar, so to speak. So it's a location that has someone coming again and again. But in parapsychological work, the way we have looked at this is different than conscious entities or ghosts, is that environments sometimes hold information. They almost record little events in their past. They're often tragic events, but they can be just as easy happy events, and they're recorded by living people, not by dead people. So these are recordings made while the people were alive, and the recordings just stick around, and thus us living people, psychically or otherwise, seem to be able to pick them up from time to time and replay them in our heads. So it's kind of like a replay of a past event. If the house happens to have had a tragic event like a murder, and you're picking it up, it's going to be very scary and emotional for you, uh, but it's kind of an environmental background thing. It's not an actual thing that can hurt you. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, I, you know, I can imagine that all kinds of people experience hauntings, but I hear mostly from children that they see or hear things. Is there a reason thematically children tend to pick up more than adults, well, at children- least from what I hear? Yeah, I mean, children in general are more psychic. We all have ESP. We all have some degree of psychic ability. And it's not just picking up information from other people's minds. Actually, the the majority of what ESP seems to be is picking up information from object events and even through the future, uh, you know, precognition. And essentially, kids haven't been taught, especially really young kids, haven't been taught, or I should say almost brainwashed, to, to not believe in these abilities. They are They don't have the same filters that we have. They're willing to talk about perceptions that they get more openly than adults are. And there are a lot of adults that pick this stuff up, but they don't tell anybody because they're afraid of the social stigma, as you mentioned early in the show. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. I, I had a, a, a client years ago that was a child, and his mother brought him in because she was very concerned. He had a lot of uh, experiences interacting with ghosts, actually having dialogues with ghosts and different scenarios. And I had just read a book by another very, very well-known uh, author and speaker uh, these days who, who was talking about his childhood experiences. And what was so interesting was I, I reflected back to the mom, you know, I just read this book like two weeks ago out of the blue on this particular topic. And, and it, some of these instances were very similar to what your son is talking about. And, and uh, she asked me who it was, and I told her, and she said, well, that, that's my brother, Oh, that's that's pretty interesting that she should be talking to her brother about it. That's what I was saying to her. Uh, you know what what is a poltergeist? How 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 frequently do people encounter these things? These poltergeists and what are they? Well, first 
Poltergeists are actually, um, you know, it's an old term meaning noisy ghosts, but the term itself was applied to physical activity cases. So there were no apparitions, no ghosts seen. There was purely physical activity, and this is back, going back to the 16th century in Germany, at least that far. Today we have a better understanding, and actually over the last 100 years, thanks to uh, psychologists such as Bill Roll and before him Nandor Fodor, these are person-centered events with physical activity, typically object movement, sometimes breakage, and often today a lot of electronic stuff happening, unusual wrappings in the walls, unusual noises and such, but purely physical, so everybody experiences them who's present in the room. But it centers around a living person whose unconscious mind is typically blowing off steam or releasing tension because of some neurological issue uh, using psychokinesis, mind over matter. It's, it's not a, a ghost. It's really from living people. And a lot of us experience this, you know, in a really regular basis, who kind of what we might call a mini poltergeist. If you're really stressed out and your electronics start going haywire, uh, this is something that's not uncommon for college students up, up against deadlines. That, that's kind of your stress being released as a little PK, whether it's energy or something else, causing disruptions and malfunctions. And it's something that people, I've talked to people in Silicon Valley, quite a number of folks over the years, because I'm in the, this general area, um, and this is something they've noted, that people in stressed out situations cause things to happen you know, negatively, typically, although on occasion you end up with a computer guy who is so into it that he can make devices work better than they should. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> You know, it's interesting because um, I work crisis, and uh, I'm the doctor for the cruise lines on the West Coast. And uh, when death happens, they usually will send me out to uh, take care of the crew. And we had a death uh, about five years ago of, uh, I think it was six crew members, where a guy unhinged a pipe, and basically the, there was a, a, a fume in there that killed uh, mm. all of them instantly. And, and what was very strange was when I got on board, everybody was grieving over the death. It was very shocking. But very quickly, it turned into them seeing ghosts. Now, a lot of these people were from the Philippines. They were from all you know, Eastern Europe and all over the world, very few from the United States. But it was fascinating that they were interacting and hearing ghosts in the engine room and ghosts in the laundry room and ghosts in the, uh, in the rooms of where these men stayed. Well, you know, in circumstances like that, we'd also want to talk to in any experience we do deal with, we do talk to people about their beliefs and their, and their, um, their cultural beliefs, their religious beliefs, and how that actually might either exacerbate a situation or open them up or potentially cause them to be biased and kind of take, uh, mistake things for other things that are going on. Uh, sometimes people get into very emotional states when they are grieving, and that can certainly open people up to being a little bit more psychic for a time. And it, it's usually, you know, interestingly enough, it's not death itself of someone who causes multiple ghosts to be seen. Usually it's the person who died that's being seen. But it can put people in a mindset where they're more open to things. Absolutely. I, I, I would agree with you there. And, you know, it was so interesting. It's at two days into the cruise, we had to uh, stop in Mexico and get a priest aboard to exercise the ship so that the crew would actually calm down. Yeah, you know, when you have people with religious and, and cultural beliefs, sometimes a ritual is necessary uh, for a psychological reason. It's kind of a placebo effect more than anything else. Yeah, and it, it worked. I mean, it worked. It yeah. did calm people down, and whether right. that was mental or if it was actual what happened. But then we were able to get back to business and really 
really help people. But, you know, we, we've only got a couple of minutes before we go on break, but I just have to ask you, is, is there such a thing as a demon or an angel, as, as religious uh, institutions oftentimes profess? Well, as they define them, we have not seen any evidence for those kinds of things. Uh, I would say that there are, based on people's encounters, there might be, uh, you know, ghosts or spirits that are that were bullies in life and are bullies after death, and there certainly are people who are good Samaritans after death, and a lot of people refer them as, to them as angels and demons, depending on their, their motivations. But the truly evil or truly good type of thing, you know, or the religious entities, that's something science can't even deal with, because if they are truly from the religious perspective or mythological perspective, they are of a, a higher power that doesn't fall under, or under anything we can study. Interesting. I mean, do you ever interact with people that are, uh, come from a religious perspective uh, in yeah. trying to work with ghosts or, or spirits of any way? I, I do, and the, the problem sometimes for us is that when we determine what's going on, even non-paranormal activity, so we can actually sometimes come up with, and we try to find normal explanations for things, but if people, are, are, their mindset is that it must be a demon for whatever reason, we often can't help them in any way, shape, or form, uh, even, like I said, even if we found that there's a non-paranormal explanation because they're not willing to accept it. Wow, that's so interesting. We're going to take a quick break, uh, Professor Arbach. We're going to come right back, and we're going to go into more detail on uh, Poltergeist and other many, many questions that I have for you. Thank you for joining, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. 
or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You know, uh, Dr. Arbach, thanks for uh, joining us. Dr. Arbach is here uh, with us, and we're talking about uh, ghost paranormal activity. And, and what I want to know is, can a ghost or a poltergeist, Professor Arbach, enter our body or mind, and we become somehow possessed? And if, that's, if that does, how, how does it happen? Well, first, uh, first, just a correction. I'm, I don't have a doctorate, so um, professor is right, but doctor is no, not. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, poltergeists, just a reminder: poltergeists are are caused by us, so we are the poltergeists. Um, as far as a ghost entering us uh, and possessing us, you know, the the idea of possession, uh, for the most part, in anthropology, that word is a neutral term where if someone is a spirit medium and allowing the spirit to come in and speak through them, or you're a practitioner of a religion such as Vudan or a West African religion where you're allowing the loa, the spirits to come, the ghosts of the gods to come in and speak through you, that's a form of possession as well. But we typically use possession in Western culture to refer to a negative forcible takeover. And we don't really see that, uh, certainly not within parapsychological work. We, we've had a couple of cases in the history of parapsychology where that might have been the case, but it typically is that people are perhaps opening themselves up. Uh, people who are mediums certainly from time to time will let a spirit come in. But every medium I've ever talked to and worked with, and I work with a quite a number through the Forever Family Foundation and have even before that, have always said that if they want the spirit out of their body, they just tell it to go, and there's, there's nothing the spirit can do. They, there's no way that something without a body has any power over those of us who do have a body. But a lot of us, you know, human beings act like victims sometimes. We believe that we're victimized. We let things come into us. We uh, draw negative people to us. We draw negative forces to us sometimes. And that's really our own psychology that's letting that happen. And if we just took a little bit of power back, it's pretty easy to drive whatever it is around us away. You know, what are some of the most common factors that make a likely location for ghosts or poltergeists to exist? Well, with poltergeists, we're really talking about uh, the people themselves, and it seems to be stress and tension, and they're not ultimately, you know, big poltergeist cases where big things move, uh, not very common, and it's rare people, and part of it is the individual who is the poltergeist agent has typically no other outlet for their stress and tension. That, that's one of the key factors. So most people have some outlet for what they're dealing with. They don't bottle it up. And not everybody who bottles it up becomes a poltergeist agent. It's probably some genetic function, too, that we're looking into. But as far as the ghosts and haunted places, one of the things that we do find is connections or correlations uh, between higher-than-background, normal-background magnetic fields. There sometimes are geomagnetic fields. The Earth's magnetic field seems to play into this to some extent. But if you think about it, we deal with hauntings all the time. Um, it's not uncommon for, you, for us to walk into a, a place we've never been before, let's say someone's house, and get a good feel, like a good vibe or a bad vibe. And the bad vibe may relate to the people fighting all the time. Uh, it could relate to the decor, of course, but it, could relate, it typically relates to kind of an emotion that's imprinted in places. Human beings leave emotion behind, and you can kind of feel those things. Uh, prisons that are abandoned or, you know, closed down, which are big popular spots these days for ghost hunters, but prisons have had, of course, historical um, tours like Alcatraz through a long time. They feel bad, and it's not just 
the environmental stuff that you see or you perceive. There's something else that you're feeling, and it's like the emotion of the prisoners who were there. That's a haunting. Interesting, because uh, I uh, used to manage the Paramount Theater in Austin, Texas, and mm-hmm. uh, during that time, that used to be a prison before they turned it into a, built a theater on top of it for Mexican prisoners. And uh, it was interesting because in the middle of the night, of course, I'd be the last one to leave to lock up. And uh, I would hear, I didn't see, but I would hear noises of uh, Hispanic prisoners talking to each other, people talking to each other. It was, it was weird. I don't know if it was prisoners, but I, I always asked, what was it? And, well, you know, what is this noise I'm hearing? And the, one of the bartenders was like, well, that's, this used to be a prison. Yeah, and it you know places pick up information. They they hold things, and again they hold images or recordings of actual activity that happened. Uh, one of the more common hauntings that people report in homes is the sounds of people rattling pots and pans and cooking in the kitchen. A very very common activity. You know people hear that and there's no one in the kitchen. That's not a negative thing, but it's very common because it's repetitive in our behavior. And the kitchen is kind of the heart of the house for most people. Yeah, uh, Gettysburg Battlefield, people have seen replays of parts of the battle, which is really fascinating from a historical perspective. It's not like the ghosts are there, but there's something about the environment that's holding a little piece of history. That's so fascinating to me. I have a later question around that. But how do you differentiate between a spirit, a soul, and a ghost? Okay, so typically we talk, you know, these days we talk about the word consciousness. Uh, mm-hmm. In the old days, they used to use the term human personality, or just simply the mind. Uh, a spirit, uh, if you talk to mediums, they'll tell you that a spirit is someone on the other side, someone who's left <clears throat> our kind of realm, if you want to call it that, and they kind of speak back to us, whereas a ghost is someone who's still here. But those words, spirit, spirit and ghost, have different meanings to different people. We tend to use the word apparition in parapsychological work for someone whose consciousness is sticking around after death and capable of interaction. Soul is, um, for us, it's interchangeable with spirit and ghosts and those things, consciousness. And I think it really boils down to how you approach it. Soul often has a very religious or mythological context to it. And in some mythologies and religions, there are, people have more than one type of soul, uh, more than one type of spirit body. The ancient Egyptians believed in the ka and the ba, two different forms of soul. And everybody had both, and one went on to the underworld, and one went on to be, perhaps to be reincarnated. So you have different interpretations of that depending on the culture and the religion. Do you, is it possible for a ghost to have a soul, or that to be the same? It, it, it most likely is the same. I mean, the thing that makes, if soul is what makes you you, then consciousness, as we talk, is, is what the term is, really, that we're using today. And a ghost is consciousness without a body, so that is the same thing. You know, what, what kind of paranormal activity are you most interested in? Well, you know, it varies. Uh, I, I'm an educator as much as an investigator. I'm certainly very interested in uh, apparitional cases because they are indicators of consciousness after death. And, uh, and I'm also, I love getting poltergeist cases because those are mysteries with real living people. You have kind of a, it's like solving a murder mystery. You have a motive and opportunity kind of thing going on uh, to find the culprit and kind of help resolve that situation. But these days I'm, I'm probably just as much, if not more so, interested in uh, aspects of remote, remote viewing. And, and that's partly because of my involvement in the last book I wrote, ESP Wars, with Ed May. 
uh, and we're actually trying to, uh, we may be doing a Kickstarter very soon to start a project to go through the archives, the 87,000 pages of declassified material we have now from the declassified from the CIA, from the government project, and be able to put it, to, put it together, find the best of the material, and get it out there to the public. So I'm really interested in that area, too. How did you catch on to that? That sounds like such an interesting, uh, I'm sorry I haven't read that book, and I'm going That's to read okay. that book. What, what, how did you catch on to that information? Well, being in the field, remote viewing has been around since the 1970s, and uh, I've been in the field since the late 1970s, and that's something I certainly learned about. And I've known Ed May since the mid-1980s. Uh, he was involved at that time, although none of us knew that, uh, that there was actually a government project. Uh, we knew that Ed May and Russell Targ and Hal Putoff, um, the two guys who started the, the remote viewing program for the government, were doing more parapsychological public work as well, but we didn't know that they were doing all this stuff for the government. And in 95, when the, the program was revealed to have existed, uh, the CIA kind of killed the program and also let the, the, the world know that it existed. Um, you know, we, a lot of us talked to Ed about that. And over the last few years, uh, I've talked more and more to Ed about it. And he had this project going, this manuscript that was contributed to by a number of people himself, uh, Victor Rubel, who had worked with the Russians, some of the Russian folks, had con- several Russian generals had contributed cha- uh, sections to this. Joe McMonagle, who was the main re- remote viewer for the U.S. Army project, who I had known a little bit too, and they needed someone to get involved and pull it all together and kind of turn it into a book that people could read pretty easily, and that's how they brought me in. And since being brought into the book project uh, back originally in t- 2013, um, Ed's brought me more and more into the material, and uh, so now I'm kind of heavily involved in trying to uh, work with him to get this material sorted through and kind of cut the wheat from the chaff, find the good stuff, and get it out to the public as much as possible. What was their goal? Well, the goal of the U.S. program was um, to catch up with the Soviets, who had been apparently doing research in psychic phenomena, uh, psychic powers, since the 60s. Uh, although we have found since, uh, there was a book that came out in the 70s called Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain, where some journalists and some scientists had gone over to the USSR and talked to Russian scientists and observed some stuff and came back with a report uh, about all sorts of research that they were doing about psychic weaponry and psychic generators. And a lot of that, by the way, as it turned out, as we found out, um, as Ed found out in the 90s and since then, from the Russian sources since the wall fell, a lot of it was kind of propaganda. They didn't have success in creating psychic weapons, but they were doing research in that, and our government was very concerned. So they wanted to um, see if they could actually do some work here, and remote viewing was, a pro- was something, a, a specific case of clairvoyance and a technique that was developed by Ingo Swan, a psychic, with Russell Targ and Hal Putoff to spy to look in on distant locations, and the goal of the project was to take missions of last resort, situations where the Defense Department, CIA, and other organizations for the government had no information about what was going on in different parts of the world, mainly in the Soviet Union, to provide them with coordinates or some other location information and to have the viewers who were Army-trained people look in on those and see if they could get actionable intelligence. 
on what was going on in those situations or where those people were, what, the, what was the, the purpose of what was happening or what was physically happening in certain locations around the world. So I guess this will be the next movie you work on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, we're hoping to turn some of this into a, a cool TV series. Yeah. A more scripted, dramatic TV series because we have all this these great missions. Uh, you know, this is something we want to, like I said, get out to the public. We have a publisher who's willing to put the best material together. We're talking about like six to eight volumes, but it's going to be called down from this 80,000 plus pages because uh, there's a lot of, you know, governmental inter-office memos and other things that have to be sifted through. In uh, Professor Arbach's biography, I did not go into all the detail, but he has also consulted on a numerous movies that all of you would be uh, enormously familiar with uh, as far as assisting in the paranormal department. Um, you know, what type of reports are you most likely to receive from the average person? Well, well these, there's two types of, of reports I get from folks, and usually they're requests for help or interpretation. Uh, people do email me all sorts of psychic experiences they have, everything from dreams to, uh, you know, they're, they're picking up information from other people all of a sudden. They're suddenly uh, picking up too many emotions. They're, a lot of times they want help in terms of either interpreting them or shutting it down or even working with, uh, I do work with people to help them develop their psychic abilities, kind of mentor. I've been mentoring some sensitives and psychics and mediums even over the last few years. Uh, but typically the, the, the calls that we get uh, are going to be, I've got a ghost in my house. I have some activity in my house. I don't know if it's a ghost or if our house is haunted, can you help understand what's going on? Can you explain it away? Can you send somebody out to investigate? Those kinds of calls. Do, do they ever go away, the paranormal oh, yeah. activity? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we have a pretty good success rate, actually. How do uh, you do that? Well, if it's, a, if it's a poltergeist case where it's a living person, we have to figure out who's doing it first. And they're not aware they're doing it, and then we work with them. And it's not that hard, actually, to get the phenomena to stop, actually. There's a, it depends on what's actually going on in the situation, what the stress is. But if you – counseling is a really good tool in poltergeist cases because if it is stress and tension that is doing that, then working with a counselor and then also developing a, a method of um, normally relieving stress and tension, that's one way of getting rid of it. But poltergeist cases also burn themselves out. They don't last for, for years and years and years. Um, with apparitions, with ghosts, you have to actually communicate. And whether it's getting the family that is seeing the ghost to communicate or bringing in a psychic or medium to do the communication, it is a process of communication that actually helps us to stop that. Hauntings, where it's the actual environment holding the information, those are the toughest. But there have been psychics who have been able to do what they call an energy cleansing. We don't know how they're doing it, but uh, in terms of what the physics is going, what's going on is happening, but we do see changes. And then even magnets, using magnetic fields, because we do pick up unusual magnetic fields. We're not, again, sure why this works. In fact, it may just be a placebo effect uh, of some sort, but it can mitigate what people are experiencing. This is incredible information. Um, thank you so much, Professor Auerbach. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back to you, and I want to talk to you about education and uh, some other very intriguing questions on paranormal activity. You want to come back and listen to this end because I'm sure we're going to be covering a lot of very, very interesting information. Thanks for joining us. Come right back.
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at DRGBMFT for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or DRGBMFT.com. Remember, DrGBMFT.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. We're talking to Professor Lloyd Auerbach regarding paranormal activity. Um... Professor Arbach, you do a lot of education around paranormal uh, with universities, with conferences, with uh, people in general, even through entertainment. What, what does education to paranormal activity mean to you? Well, you know, there, there are so many misconceptions out there, and they're generated quite a bit by pop culture as well as older folklore, that it, it's been kind of my mission since... It's one of the reasons that I, I, uh, one of the things I started doing when I first got out of graduate school, I was really, really um, pushed by my own agendas to make sure that people understood that there is not as much to be afraid of, that there are, uh, that this is something that we really should be investigating. You know, I find it criminal almost, scientifically criminal, that academia seems to want to exclude all these topics. And it's not that. I feel that uh, you know, looking for alternative explanations is bad. In fact, I think that that's really fine. I think that if scientists, if researchers uh, in academia were interested in looking at people's experiences and not just simply dismissing them with really stupid explanations. I mean, I hear people, um, big scientists, major people and psychologists 
automatically say, oh, it's just a mass hallucination when five people see the same thing that has historical validation to it. I mean, that's unscientific to, to, level, to an incredible level. Um, so I find it personally my mission and my agenda to make sure that people understand what's going on. And that cuts their fear. Um, it brings more people into the field. We want this field to grow. We want new ideas. We want people to come in with new approaches. And frankly, the people who are coming into the paranormal community, as it's called, the ghost centers out there, because they, are, they believe that what they see on television programs, which have a motivation and agenda created by TV producers, not by scientists or any, anything based in the history of, of this stuff, we're, we're kind of fighting um, so many misconceptions constantly. And it's, it, it doesn't help... Uh, in understanding what's actually going on in people's experiences. I agree with you. I mean, in just counseling people, you know, people often will talk to me about this, these kind of topics, about ghosts, apparitions, ESP, all that kind of stuff, and they bring it up because they, they don't feel safe talking about it anywhere yeah. else. Yeah. And uh, that's the exact reason why I wanted to do this show, because you yourself are in the center of a lot of the activity around really educating for real, not through television, not through, you know, shows that are basically geared for entertainment value and ratings. You're really giving the core good stuff that people really need to understand. You know, it's kind of, kind of funny. Over the years, I've talked to people in all walks of life, and many, many people um, in, the, in the legal community, in the financial community here in the Bay Area, in, the, in Silicon Valley, and they tell me their ghost stories. And I always like to ask people, have you ever told anybody else? And they consistently say no because they're afraid that, that people will think they're crazy. Now, when you talk to people in a group, and 90% of those people have all had their own individual experiences, and none of them tell each other, what does that say to you? you know, <laughs> it, it's like, you know, this is not an unusual experience. And if everybody just fessed up to their experiences, we'd have a lot more inquiry as to what they actually are. And if they turned out to be a psychological thing or a, a, trick, of the, you know, a trick of the mind or a trick of, of, of physics, and they weren't really what we consider psychic, that would be okay because at least we understand what's actually happening. You know, from your research, what, what really happens when we die? I mean, do we all become ghosts? Or what, what do you see in, what, in all the research you've done with when people die? Well, you know, there's been research in this area for over 130 years, and there's a lot of folks in the world who are looking at this. And there are two, aspects, two ways of looking at any experience. I tend to believe um, from the evidence, uh, from my research, and many, some of my colleagues also the same thing. We've concluded uh, that people, uh, you know, that consciousness continues on in some form. Now, some people seem to stick around here for what, as we said earlier in the program, for various reasons, they seem to be able to stick around and interact. What the afterlife is, is the big question. You know, when you move on uh, to some other existence, we only have information, I guess you could say secondhand. We have it through mediums who ostensibly are talking to people on the other side. And the key factor there that's really interesting uh, and this is the world over, is that the descriptions of the so-called afterlife are fairly similar. Uh, they're not hellish, and they're also not like, you know, the, the typical stereotype heaven that we talk about, but very pleasant, typically. But the, 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 there's an uh, inter, interesting piece here, and that is that the spirits supposedly tell the mediums that they can only describe things in terms that humans can understand, and that there's a lot more to it 
that they don't even have words for. We don't have words for. You know, they're trying to describe an existence which doesn't match anything we know. It's kind of like the life as we know it when we look for extraterrestrial life. There could be life as we don't know it, and it would be hard to imagine that, and we don't have words for it. So I think there's something more going on, and to me it's just a, a great adventure that I'm not in a hurry to get to personally, but it's a really interesting thing to look at, and I feel comfortable in believing that there is some existence to us after death, and we keep our personality, at least for a time. Wow. You know, it, it's going back to, like, you were talking about the prisons and, you know, army troops and things like that. How do those types of phenomenon happen? Is it all just an emotion-based thing, you know, an image left behind? Or how would you see something like that happening where it's a shared, like, it's like a shared ghost? Yeah, You know, yeah. where there's multiple people involved. Well, you know, it seems that... Um we, we have a couple ways of approaching this. One of the is that there's something about the environment. There's either energetically or maybe it's in the quantum realm. We don't know where it is. Is holding information. And the more emo- you know, ESP, by the way, tends to work. We get more information back and forth ESP with ESP when it's emotionally bound, whether it's actual emotion, positive or negative emotion. So that hauntings tend to be around emotional pieces, uh, the recordings that I guess you could say are the loudest that we pick up on. Mm. Uh, that's not unusual. So it's us living folks who are capable of accessing this information that's imprinted in the environment, and we think it does have to do with the the electromagnetic spectrum, uh, probably the geomagnetic field in some respect. But the other way of looking at it is that there may be um, a geophysical way of recording information. We record information regularly with technology electromagnetically, so that's not uh, unexpected something about the environment may actually record information, and our brains may be capable under certain con- environmental conditions of replaying bits of that. We do find higher than background magnetic fields in a lot of places, and sometimes it seems the more there, there's a direct connection to the shifting nature of the Earth's magnetic field as well in a local environment that does affect the brain and makes you more open, uh, possibly also able to... Act, create hallucinations in your brain. Uh, Michael Persinger up at Laurentian University has been able to artificially induce um, geomagnetic fields that cause people to have hallucinatory experiences, except that in the haunting experiences, the hallucinations have historical value and information. So there may may be a biophysical explanation or a purely psychic one. And we have a way of uh, potentially testing the biophysical model, but we don't have any money for it. Oh, man. (sighs) Well, at least we know that there's a possibility of figuring it out. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. Well, and it's day. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to do uh, at some point in the next few years to do some sort of Kickstarter for that kind of thing because when it comes down to it, I think that the skeptics would be very happy to find that there's a biophysical thing, that it's just the brain and the environment because then it's not psychic anymore. Absolutely. Um, but there's some real applications to be able to artificially cause people to see, in, see history. I mean, some absolute applications for that. You know, how do, how do you correlate people that uh, hallucinate, like with schizophrenics and uh, people mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, your everyday nut job that will report <laughs> paranormal yeah. activity? What, what, how do you differentiate? Well, you know, what's interesting is that the people who have uh, mental disturbances, you know, have um, usually their hallucinations are, uh, they don't fit any of the patterns of what people have reported for the last, you know, couple thousand years. Yeah. They're extraordinary. 
Uh, but one of my late colleagues, Montague Ullman, who was a psychiatrist in New York and actually did this, uh, some significant work on dream telepathy back in the 70s, uh, he told me years ago that when he worked in certain psychiatric institutions working with schizophrenics, some of the schizophrenics actually, the voices in their heads actually were providing information that was freaking out the staff because, you know, it was information that the staff was thinking or about them. Uh, that they couldn't possibly, that the patients could not possibly have known. And he actually worked with them and found that they were, their schizophrenia was opening them up psychically. Uh, and some of them perhaps weren't even schizophrenic. It's just that they were being bombarded with too much information, being way too open psychically. And he was able to work with them to actually shut that down. And lo and behold, the schizophrenia went away. That was pretty rare. But, um, you know, we, we, until recently, if you, the idea of hearing voices in your head, in the diagnostic manual, the DSM, that was a, you know, a sign of schizophrenia, and it's only in the most recent update that they, said, they acknowledged that, okay, that may not be a sign of schizophrenia anymore. We all hear voices in our heads. We hear music in our heads. You know, Professor Arbach, how can one become more in touch and sensitive to paranormal activity in their own life? I mean, is it an acquired skill, or are you born with it? Well, you know, actually, you can practice and open yourself up. Um, you know, part of the, there's an exercise, a very simple exercise. One is, it, it's really, you, you, fo- you spend a few minutes every day focusing on each of your senses. Just find a nice, uh, a good place. It doesn't have to be quiet. In fact, it's best if it's not. And it should be a place that's not too spartan, so that when you, you focus on everything you see, since we often ignore things that we normally see, um, you spend time focusing on your sense of sight, sense of hearing, sense of smell, and after a couple of weeks of focusing, spending a couple of minutes on each of your senses, you'll notice that there's a little extra coming through, that you have other information, and that's the psychic information. It's once you notice that you're getting this extra information, it's a lot easier to kind of develop it. And one of the courses I teach, in fact, is called Being Psychic, and it, it talks about how to kind of open yourself up a little bit more, but in a way that prevents you from getting too much, because that's also important. You know, where, where can someone get a reputable... Uh paranormal investigator if they're concerned about having this activity in their life? They should contact one of the reputable organizations and get a referral. Uh, And I also tell people when they're talking about me, they should check out with these organizations. So the Rhine Research Center, R-H-I-N-E dot org, uh, which is one of the oldest laboratories in the country that's in North Carolina, but the Rhine Center is one place. The Parapsychology Foundation. Uh, The main source is the Parapsychological Association, which is the organization of parapsychologists in the world, and that's parapsych.org. And just contacting them, they'll put you in touch with other folks. Also, the Society for Psychical Research over in Great Britain uh, is another source of folks. But people can contact me, and I can try to put them in touch with people. You're awesome. Um, we only have a few minutes here, a couple minutes, but uh, I was just wondering, can you share some, one of your most fascinating cases? Uh, yeah, in a couple of minutes, this is quick. Um, I, you know, I, what kind of a key case for me just was a family that had moved into an old house. Uh, it was a, old for the Bay Area. Um, a woman had lived there in her entire life. She did not die in the house. The house had been empty for uh, about a year and a half because she only had one living relative who, who was elderly himself. They bought the house in an estate sale, and from the time that they moved in, they started seeing this older woman walking around the house and actually waving at them. A year and a half into this, because they were not talking to each other about this, uh, this their son, Chris, in the case, opened up and said that he, she 
had been talking to the ghost, Lois, for the last year and a half. When she waved, he actually waved back, and they started conversing. And we were brought in uh, just to make sure the kid was going to grow up normal, because that's kind of an unusual circumstance. And he had, um, we had a conversation with him and the ghost. I mean, he was interpreting for the ghost that gave us enormous amounts of information, family stories about this woman when she was growing up and living in the house, and even the contact with her only living relative, who the family had been un- unable to contact. Um, so we got the contact, and I was able to verify every single one of the stories with him. So this kid had this enormous um, conversation, and she was very helpful to him growing up. Uh, and actually, we had some really interesting conversation about what it was like to be a ghost and finding out that she was one of those people that was afraid of what was next, and she decided just to stay in the house and really like the family. Wow. That is, <laughs> that is incredible. Well, folks, that, that's our show. Uh, Professor Arbach, thank you so much. Thank you for being on this show today. You're very welcome. Um, Absurd Psychology is next Friday well, at uh, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Our next show is Psychotic Living Made Easy. I want to thank everybody, everyone for listening. I want to hear from you. Uh, my email is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. I want you to remember... Uh, psychotic behavior doesn't run in a family. It slowly walks through and gets to know everyone. And if you're thinking there ain't no sunshine when she's gone, always remind yourself that there also ain't no psychotic borderline personality outbursts either. (laughs) So thanks for joining our show, everybody. Uh, Tune in next week. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.